0: Pastor Xavier Reis suggests taking advantage of time spent with the Savior.
1: Do you realize it? Do you consider it a privilege that you can discern the voice of God now? Or have you come to the place where you've taken Him for granted? Yeah, I know God. You certainly could not discern the voice of God nor I before we were born again. Do you realize the privilege that we have that we can discern the voice of God? Do you get excited when God speaks to you directly?
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. There are numerous efforts to get your attention while behind the wheel of a car today. Inside the vehicle, there are gauges, various colored and flashing warning lights, beeping noises, along with the road signs and signal lights, not to mention the eye-catching billboards lining the highway. And likewise, in today's Simple Truths message, we'll see one clever way God used in order for his people to take notice. Pastor Xavier turns to Jeremiah chapter 13 and the technique God commanded the prophet use to draw the attention of the nation of Judah away from their idols and back to himself. Let's listen.
1: The prophets of the Old Testament were men who were called by God to do mainly two things to proclaim the sin of the people and to proclaim repentance to the people. These men were often not of the priestly order, as you know. In fact, when Yahweh raised up these prophets, it was because the priesthood, as well as the king, had corrupted their person as well as their office. You remember Amos the prophet, Amos 7.14, he said that he was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore tree. So he bred sheep and he picked fruit. And God called them into the ministry. Many of the prophets of the Old Testament, as you know, were called to do some bizarre charades to communicate their message. Isaiah the prophet was called to walk naked and barefooted. Ezekiel was called to do many of these charades, one to besiege the city. He would take a razor to his head, get some hair and, and throw some of it in the air to disperse the people through the shaft of the wind, put some in his belt as a remnant, Throws them into the fire as a destruction. Then he would lay on his right side, his left side, and talking about the captivity. Then he would go through a hole in the wall with a knapsack over his shoulder, covering his eyes to declare how Hezekiah would be taken captive, because the prophecy said that Hezekiah would be taken captive. He would go to Babylon, but he would never see it with his own eyes. What the heck does that mean? And so when Zedekiah fled, Nebuchadnezzar caught him. And the last last thing he saw was his sons being killed before his eyes. They plucked his eyes out. He went to captivity, but he never saw Babylon. And so many of these charades and many of these things that they were called to do was to make their message clear, effective. Hosea, the prophet, was called to marry a prostitute, Gomer, as a picture of God's love for Israel, who he would forgive, who he would cleanse, who he would take back. To himself. Now Jeremiah the prophet in like manner is prepared by Yahweh to preach his fifth sermon here by the object of a sash to reveal the ruined condition of the people due to their own sin and is laid out for us in three very progressive movements. Let me read here verse 1 through 11. Thus the Lord said to me, go and get yourself a linen sash and put it around your waist, but do not put it in water. So I got the sash according to the word of the Lord and put it around my waist. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time saying, take the sash that you acquire, which is around your waist and arise, go to the Euphrates and hide it there in the hole of the rock. And so I went and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. Now it came to pass after many days that the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates and take from there uh, the sash which I commanded you to hide there. And then I went to the Euphrates and dug, and I took the sash from the place where I had hidden it. And there was the sash, ruined, and it was profitable for nothing. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Thus saith the Lord, In this manner I will ruin the pride of Judah, And the great pride of Jerusalem, this evil people who refuse to hear my voice, who follow the dictates of their own hearts, who walk after other gods to serve them and to worship them shall be just like the sash, which is profitable for nothing. For as a sash clings to the waist of a man, so I have caused the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to cling to me, says the Lord, that they may become my people for renown, for praise and for glory But they would not hear. Three progressive movements. That end up with a conclusion. A very clear conclusion. A lesson for all of us as Christians today. First we have the proclamation of Yahweh to the prophet in verse 1 and 2. Then the instructions of Yahweh to the prophet. In verse 3 through 7. And then finally... The interpretation by Yahweh to the prophet in verses 8 through 11. The proclamation of Yahweh to the prophet is the beginning point, And so should it be for each of our lives always. That God is the one who dictates, who directs, who guides our lives. Notice first in verse 1. The prophet Jeremiah was commanded by Yahweh to obtain a sash. Jeremiah was not one who had called himself to the office of a prophet, as you know. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, he says that God told him that he knew him before he was in his mother's womb. He did not call himself. It was God who had called him. In fact, in the next two verses, uh, Jeremiah said, I'm but a child. I can't speak. And God says, I will give you the words to speak. And this is the greatest miracle. Two miracles that your pastor observes Constantly. The first and greatest miracle is people being saved. That is the greatest miracle that I see all the time. The second greatest miracle is that when I get behind this pulpit, God breathes life into the sermon. So I don't always know how it's going to come out. I've prayed. I've prepared. I've studied. I'm ready. I want to see what God is going to say, how he's going to bring it about. And after every sermon, I'm in awe at what God does. First in me. And hopefully in you. The command of Jeremiah was to go and to get a sash for himself. The word sash means just a waistcloth, kind of like a belt to hold your clothes together. In fact, the old King James Version calls it a girdle. Okay, so when people read that, Jeremiah wears a girdle? Is he a sissy lala or what? No, no it just it means a sash, a belt. The command called for a specific type of a sash. Notice a linen sash. The word linen in the Hebrew denotes flax. Which linen is made of. Uh, you find that Isaiah 19.9. And the scriptures tell us that the flax was cultivated in two places. At least we find it within the scriptures. In Egypt, Exodus 9.31 tells us. And also in the land of Israel. Remember when the spies went into the promised land and they went into the house of Rahab? And Rahab hid the men up in the flax. Joshua 2.6. Now, the prophet Jeremiah was to put his sash around his waist, notice that, and he was not to put any water in it. The prophet being prohibited from washing this sash must have caused it to become quite dirty as he ministered from day to day. Now, you and I, we wear clothes and we send them to the cleaners and shirts. Hopefully, we, after we wear them, we wash them. But if someone is not used to that, you pick up on it real quickly. (laughs) Either by scent or by spots. Well, here the sash of the prophet is becoming dirtier and dirtier with time. It's not being washed. This must have caught the eyes of the people. As they observed the prophet preaching and walking around Jerusalem, and yet the sash is getting dirtier and dirtier. And as they watched him, I'm sure that they looked at the sash, and some of them, critics, they said... Can't believe. He's supposed to be a prophet of God. Look at that dirty sash. And they were ready to criticize the dirty sash and they couldn't see the sin they were in. Oh, so many people today are like that. Remember, when you point one finger, you got three pointing back at you. Pastor Romain used to say that. (laughs) Notice secondly in verse 2. The prophet Jeremiah was obedient to the command of Yahweh. So Jeremiah got the sash and wore it around his waist. And the object of the sash would be a sign message to the people of Judah. Now at this point, Jeremiah doesn't know what's going on. He's oblivious to it. But God isn't. The sash would serve as a parable. So it would catch their attention. And hopefully they would see their heir and turn to him. Now, let me suggest to you that people often, this is, this happens, that we are people like this, you know? We find a church, you say, oh, this is where God has brought me. This is the best church in the world. Boy, you speak directly to me. After years, doesn't he have another message? He's always talking about sin. <laughs> we are people who get bored with the most valuable things in life. The sass would serve for a parable. Hopefully, they would see their air. Now, there were various articles that were made of linen garments, the scriptures tell us, were made of linen, robes and threads, napkins, turbans, and lamp wicks. Sashes were also worn by different individuals and of different kinds. They were worn by the high priest, and it was to be made of linen. They were worn by other priests also. They were worn by the women. They were embroidered. They were made of linen. They were made of leather. A sash sometimes marked a man's wealth and status in his community. Different colors, you know. We do the same thing today, you know. Depending on what type of clothes you wear, where you buy them, your brand names, and you're saying, where you're at economically sometimes. Now, nothing wrong, but if that's the purpose for it, we drive cars, it tells us our status. We live in certain neighborhoods, it tells us our status. So the sash. Now the first the sash was basic, as we declared in the beginning. It was to hold together a man's outer clothing. It was worn close and it put everything together. Literally, in verse 1, it says, upon your loins. Right here, the hip area, the waist, you bring it tight. And the sash also served for binding your outer clothing. So that when you had to move around, because men literally wore these robes almost like skirts. And when he had to work, he would grab his garment, pull it up in between his legs and the side, and put it in the sash, put it in the belt, so he can freely move about and not get tripped up. And he can have freedom of movement. It would gird him. He would not be encumbered. Now, Isaiah says to us, if you remember in Isaiah 64, 6, but we are all like an unclean thing and all of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags, a menstrual garment. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. This is man at his best. in the energies of the flesh, a menstrual garment. Now, that may offend some of you if you're not a Christian. But God is real truthful. God is like a mirror. It doesn't lie to you. What you see is what you have. When we look into mirrors, we look into mirrors to correct what is wrong. Not to call the mirror a liar. But we correct it so when we walk out, we don't look silly. (laughs) We don't embarrass ourselves. As Jeremiah wore the clean linen sash without washing it in water. It became dirtier and dirtier, symbolic of Judah's defilement and her sin. And so each of us, as we walk in this world, we get dirty by sin, even as Christians. We don't practice it any longer. We don't live there, but we, we fail. We fall short. You remember when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet in John thirteen ten, He came to Peter, and Peter says, Oh, you're not going to wash my feet, Lord well, if I can't wash your feet, you have neither part nor a lot with me. Oh, Peter said, give me a bath. And Jesus says in verse 10, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. The first word, bathed, means completely bathed. You are cleansed. By my blood, you're forgiven. You're clean. You're mine. But you need to clean your feet. The second word, wash, is nipto, a portion of your body, the feet. As we walk in this life, we blow it. We make mistakes so we get dirty. So we have an advocate for the defense, Jesus Christ, to make intercessions That I confess my sin, He cleanses me and He keeps me right with Him. I abide in Christ, John 15. 1 John 2, 1. The Lord for the defense, to make intercession for us. So I need to make sure that I'm keeping my feet clean. Keep my accounts short. As I walk through this life from day to day. The Word of God is the only thing that can keep the believer clean, according to the words of Jesus in John fifteen three. You are cleansed by the words I have spoken unto you. It's the Word of God. In fact, Paul the Apostle in Ephesians 5, 26 and 27 says that the Lord gave himself for his church, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the Word, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. It's the Word of God. You stay away from the Word of God, you're going to get dirty, guaranteed. As sure as there is gravity, you'll get dirty. It's the Word of God that's going to cleanse your mind. The Word of God is going to keep you clean. It's the Word of God is going to keep you pure before God. You should go through the Word of God once a year. Every one of you is a Christian. Just reading through Bible. Genesis to Revelation. You want to go back and forth? You want to go in between? You want to go straight in? Whatever you want. You pick it. (laughs) I'm not even talking about study. I'm talking about reading. If you can get those CDs, it's just reading the Word of God without commentary. That's the best. Just let the Word of God go through you. Read through the books. So you learn the books in your mind. As Jeremiah was obedient to gird himself with the linen sash, so each of us as believers are to gird the loins of our minds so as not to be tripped up in our lives peter makes it now symbolic spiritually very practical in first 1 peter 1:13 1, through 15 he says therefore gird up the loins of your mind be sober clear-headed and rest in your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought on you in the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And so it is in your mind that you and I get tripped up. Where that attention, where that sin, where that bitterness, where that lack of forgiveness, whatever, and I have to bring it into captivity. I have to gird up the loins of my mind. Obedience in our thoughts, in our mind, is a weapon against sin. You might not have ever thought of that as a weapon, but obedience is a weapon against sin. Every time you say no to sin, you're becoming stronger to say no to the next temptation. But if you give in to sin, then you're weaker for the next temptation. It weakens you, makes you more vulnerable. Even as Paul the Apostle tells the Romans in Romans sixteen nineteen, For your obedience has become known to all, therefore I am glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Don't inquire about the evil. You know enough about evil. You don't need to excel in it anymore. <laughs> Excelling being good and knowing about good. Obedience. The proclamation of Yahweh to the prophet was to teach the prophet about their sin. Notice secondly here, the instruction of Yahweh to the prophet in verse 3 through 7. First of all, in verse 3 through 5, the prophet Jeremiah was commanded to follow specific instructions regarding the sash. God is the one who dictates when, where, and how. He gives the instructions. This was the second time notice the word of the Lord had come to Jeremiah. The authority, once again, is God's. The prophet had the privilege of discerning the voice of God since he was called into the ministry of the prophet. Do you realize it? Do you consider it a privilege that you can discern the voice of God now? Or have you come to the place where you've taken him for granted? You certainly could not discern the voice of God nor I before we were born again. Do you realize the privilege that we have that we can discern the voice of God? Do you get excited when God speaks to you directly? As a parent, if your child's ever been gone for a long period of time, what you long for is to hear their voice. The bestness thing is to have them right there so you can touch them, hug them, and kiss them. But the hearing of the voice... Last night I was reading, it was about 9 o'clock. I was just and laying in bed reading and the phone rang about 9.30. And it was my son. He's down in Florida right now finishing his recon training and doing water training. And, uh, and you never saw a father so happy. It was about 20 to 1. He's getting ready for the test that he had to take this morning. But um, to hear his voice. I told him, Max, I can't wait till you get home next week. I want to just hug you and kiss you and feel you. Do you get excited? Do you think it a privilege that you can discern the voice of God? Or have you come to the place where, yeah, I know God. It's like the husband says, yeah, that's my wife. Or the wife says, yeah, that's my husband. We lose the most valuable things. The prophet was to take the sash from his waist and to go to the Euphrates' rivers and hide it there in a whole rock. Now, some believe that the reference to the Euphrates' river is really an abbreviation for Ephrata, the original name for Bethlehem, which is six miles northeast of uh, Jerusalem. The fact is because there's only one letter of difference between the two. But again, the reasoning is human. It's it's is logical. It's not scriptural. The prophet, God says, go to the Euphrates. The prophet's going to tell us he did go to the Euphrates. Now, who am I going to believe? The guy who has too much etchimacation or, or the scriptures? Now, the reasoning is that it's about a 700-mile round-trip journey. But so what? What, what do you have to do? when you're God's prophet but to do the work of God now it would take approximately two months if you went straight there now in those days you walked everywhere we drive everywhere and we have the tape going we have the CD going or we have the radio going we hate silence we love noise pollution and it's no wonder we cannot hear the voice of God Jeremiah is walking. He's taking a month to walk from here to the Euphrates. And he can look to the creation and say, Lord, you're so good. And it begins a dialogue and God begins to minister unto him. He can hear the voice of God. We're so busy that we don't hear because we're always putting something in our ear. (laughs) So there's no good reasoning to explain this away. In fact, in verse 5, the prophet Jeremiah says he obeyed Yahweh and he did as he was told. The prophet responded in obedience immediately once again. So I went and hid it in the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. It's very clear. Don't read into the text. Leave the text alone. You have a problem with it, you have a problem. God doesn't have a problem. The prophet did not ask why, but merely obeyed the Lord. Now at this point, the text does not tell us that Jeremiah knows anything about it. He doesn't know what God's doing because we haven't gotten down these verses. But God was in control. What a picture. You and I, we don't know what God's doing. And yet He's working. He's working in a way that you and I have no idea. He's working in a way for the purpose of bringing about things that we have no idea about. So it's so important for me to be obedient in the things He tells me. Notice secondly in verse 6 through 7. The prophet Jeremiah then was commanded to retrieve the sash the command to Jeremiah came after many days he tells us now we don't know exactly how long this was doesn't declare us. but he's gone away two months now he's been back how long he's been back give him a month another two months you know you've got about five months or even longer you take your pick but two and two uh, for the round trip and whatever intervals time but here we have the prophet being obedient he still doesn't have all the picture but he's being obedient
0: Mr. Xavier Rees illustrating with the obedient prophet Jeremiah to describe the lengths God is willing to go to draw His people unto Himself. Now, if you've missed any part of this message, you can hear it from beginning to end again any time online. Just look for today's date when you click on the radio listings link when you log on to CalvaryChapelPasadena.com. Now, there's much more to this study to come next time right here as well. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, As always, you can pick up a copy of this message and the title you want to ask for is simply Good for Nothing. It's available on CD for only $4. The title to ask for once again is Good for Nothing or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107 or to make your request by phone The Red Sea parted, the walls falling down at Jericho, the sun made to stand still. There's nothing impossible for God. Yet you remove God from the equation of your life. Everything will be impossible. Join us next time for more Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese.